Well, hello and welcome to episode 7 of the 1099 for the week of August 17th. It is actually, once again, really nice and sunny here in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, we are on a good stretch after a big, rainy, rainy beginning. Uh, I'm your host, Josiah Renauden. With me today, I've been really excited about this one because this is the person who actually gave me my first big interview when I was starting off as a freelancer. He also provided some fantastic quotes for my first big IGN cover story. He is uh, a big part at Supergiant Games. He's a developer there, as well as a writer for games like Bastion and Transistor. It's Greg Kosov. And Greg, how are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. Once again, I was really excited to have you on here. Uh, I think the last time we talked was right after the release of Transistor. How's life been yeah. since then? I know it's a broad question. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess it's been a while. I don't know. It's kind of um, it's it's really flown by. Uh, in like like almost shockingly quickly from my perspective because yeah uh, transistor came out uh in may of last year and it is now august so yeah it's been over a year and change and and in a lot of ways i feel like i've only just uh regained my bearings um that was a big that was a big project for me uh, that that was i think technically the longest thing i've ever worked on and not that it was that long in in game development terms, it took us about uh, two and a half years, uh, start to finish. But um, and certainly there are video games that spend many many more years in development than that. But yeah, as you alluded to, you know my own background is coming from uh, you know working on websites or something where if you have like two weeks to do something, that's a long time. Um, so two and a half years uh, is is a pretty significant chunk of my own kind of work experience overall and um when you when you kind of work on something like that day in and day out and then one day you're not working on it anymore you have to like recalibrate uh many aspects of your life and just kind of get used to living without the presence of it there so it's kind of a weird adjustment um and that that stage has always been uh, pretty pretty kind of difficult for me i haven't worked on that many games yet but uh the period in between games is sort of uh is sort of harder for me um than the then kind of being in the thick of it and just working on it every day because then uh in on on some level you you have more structure to your life it's been cool to kind of move past it and start thinking about what what's going to come next yeah and i was going to ask you kind of the difference between you know you got bastion done and what was same thing with transistor how long after you're done you know those games are in the can it's out yeah. there how much time do you spend one just not thinking about video games for a bit and kind of, uh, you know, going away and to reflecting on not only the development process, but kind of the reception to your games. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think like it's, it's hard to, it's hard to give like a, a concrete answer to, to either of, of those questions. I mm -hmm. think it's a, really an ongoing process and it's very, it's very internal, um, at least for me, like we, we definitely have some, some, we spend some formal amount of time internally, like post-morteming our games and talking about what went right, what went wrong, uh, you know, from our perspective during development, we actually try to do that, uh, like before the game comes out, not after, um, it, cause it's not really meant to be a reaction to reviews and stuff. It's, it's meant to really just reflect on our own uh, feelings about it. Um, and then, you know, as for the reception and stuff, yeah, we, we tend to discuss that as well, but I think a lot of that goes on, you know, is very personal to each individual, certainly for me. Um, and uh, it is really important to us as a team that, that you know, in between projects that people get away, kind of take all the time they need and recharge their batteries and stuff like that. Um, but even if you take like a week or two off and go somewhere, it's like, I, I don't know that that necessarily means, at least in my case, it doesn't necessarily mean I could just kind of shut off and stop thinking about games and stuff. Um, but I did, I did, you know, try to like, it's actually a relatively recent development for me where the last couple of times I've taken any kind of trip, I just, I just kind of like, I, I put the phone away and all that kind of stuff. No, <laughs> I bet that's no, healthy. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt, it felt right. Uh, you know, no Twitter, n none of that kind of stuff because it definitely applies just like an, an ongoing pressure and, and just, uh, makes, day in and day out it, it creates a sameness of experience no matter what the kind of uh outrage of the day should be there's something that that there's always there there's always something bad happening basically mm. um and, and it can, <laughs> i i think it is uh important 
once in a while, you know, give yourself one week a year or something just to just to kind of get away from it all. Um, otherwise, it, it can I, I think the, the pressure can can mount. And, and I totally agree. And because we have things like Reddit, like Twitter, where everything bad that is going on around the world and not just in your life, you can access it at any time. And yeah. I think some people get a little bit lost in that where they spend time searching for that. And I think that is very detrimental to your mental state. And I think what you're saying is, you know, after you're, you spent all this time, which, you know, development, I, I'm not a game developer, but I'm, I have a feeling it's pretty exhausting. Um, by the end of that, you're mentally drained. And the last thing you want to do is spend all day on Twitter, either searching for things outside of your life or reading all of these comments that a lot of them could be coming in that are negative. Yeah, I mean, or or whatever, whatever it is that you happen to be going through, for sure. It's just like uh, people, you know, people have people have problems of their own, right? It's it's just um, it's all we can do to kind of stay afloat in our own lives and 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 to be kind of inundated with all of the problems of others. Um, it can it can feel very uh, defeating, as you said, because you don't you don't want to feel like you lack. Uh, we all want to feel like we're empathetic human mm-hmm. beings and that we have kind of unlimited capacity to, to, to feel for and, and to, and to provide support for other people in need. Um, and, and yet it can be, yeah, it can be very, very difficult when, when, when there is just, uh, like a constant awareness of, of all of these issues, you know, facing all sorts of different people, uh, it, you know, in addition to yourself. So yeah, it's, um, I, I, I think, it's hard. It's hard to talk about without sounding uh, callous or dismissive um, or something like that. But yeah, I'm I'm mostly just speaking to your point of trying to you know uh, in between projects or kind of whenever necessary, just be mindful of when sometimes you need to just kind of take a break and and go outside and just uh, kind of appreciate uh, all the things you do have and instead of uh, uh, just just be be constantly aware of all the things that people don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and all those things are I, I think all those things are important you know just trying to trying to achieve some sort of sense of balance if you're doing this kind of work uh, in in development you're working on part of a team it's it's very important to i think have have uh, like a healthy attitude in interacting with people and that probably means yeah not not just being constantly immersed in in uh, negative experiences yeah absolutely and you had mentioned that you do a lot of internal review before reviews come out in terms of, you know, how did development go and yeah. what can we improve on? What do we want to continue doing? But I, one thing I really did want to talk about was uh, you have this rich history in games writing and that's something we'll get into in a little bit. But how do you now as a developer from, you know, you used to review games, you used to cover them. How do you read reviews of your games? How do you take that in and try to use that information to either do better next time or understand like, okay, a lot of the reviews point out that this is a great feature. Let's continue doing this. How, what's that process? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think, I think overall, like having, um, written about games critically in the past, most, mostly just helps, uh, give me sort of a, a strong immune system around <laughs> it, which is really, I, I remember when I first started working at, uh, electronic arts, which is the first, uh, development job I, I took after, after working at GameSpot. And when, uh, reviews of of the first game i worked on were coming out and so someone asked me like like oh like how do you think you're gonna they they were like concerned as to how i would i would take it you know having come from that background myself and i'm like i i think i'm i think i'm just gonna take it better than most of the people around me actually because <laughs> i know like you can't my 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 stance on that stuff in general is that you can't argue with or fault someone's experience with a game it's just the way it is um whereas once in a while and this is always really tragic you see those cases where like a developer will kind of like lash out at a critic or something and get really defensive um and those are always like oh boy you just kind of like you just kind of cringe because it seems like such a bad idea and and i i I think it is a really bad idea because like yeah the like if someone didn't like your game you just need to you just need to accept that first and foremost. You yeah. can't just say, "Oh, you were playing it wrong. You didn't, you didn't like notice the setting to make the game good, and you should have <laughs> toggled that on in the options menu before starting to play, or something like that." Um, it's it's really it's really just a mismatch of the game experience and the player. Um, and if the mismatch occurs with many many players, you know, maybe maybe it's the game. 
<laughs> and not and not all the people who played it. Do you consider some reviews outliers where you see a couple that are, let's say, if two people oh. gave your transistor a four out of ten, and you start reading through it, and do you do you try to take everything to heart, or is there some things where you're just like, I don't think this person got it. Like I, I no, I mean I I I don't I don't really consider them as outliers in that sense. Like I I for sure think that some I I for sure see examples where it's like okay this this person totally th- this person had the optimal experience and this person did not um but i don't i i don't i never think of it in terms of like oh this person just this person just didn't get it <laughs> uh, i i think of it in terms of like this game did not speak to this person um th- this this person did not like whatever the game was trying to do it didn't work on this person and that's not the person's fault it's the game like it's it's the game's it's probably the game's shortcoming first and foremost i just i just never i i can't like make my brain see it the other way for the most part um you know sometimes sometimes it's it's rarely in reviews but sometimes whatever like internet comments and stuff you'll see people who just like who just hate something and you can't you can't like I I don't look at it in terms of like oh what what could we have done to make this person who totally hates our game love it it's like okay well that's fine yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. You, you can't you can't get too uh, obsessive over trying to make everybody happy but but I think like looking for looking for patterns in the feedback is certainly meaningful and 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 I also I also just like to me one of the most valuable ways of looking at reviews is like what are the qualities that stood out as you know as positive or negative overall and and how does that sort of align with what did we spend the most time on um a thing i really a thing that makes me sort of happy in reviews is when they reflect sort of the 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 work that went into the game um so when there's like it, it can be really weird when even if a review really likes some aspect of of a game like a game i worked on if it's like if it praises something that maybe happened spontaneously or was just kind of like a last minute thing and then and then some other you know gigantic feature that took months and months or something gets short shrift or or you know gets gets knocked or something like that that can be a little concerning because it's like ideally you're spending the most time on the things that uh people will notice and appreciate and, and that's just kind of like calibrating your development efforts against you know what people are noticing and uh for sure you know when you work on a game for for months and years and stuff like that it's it's really important to stick your head out of the sand from time to time and make sure you're not too close to it and make sure that yeah the stuff you're doing to it is the stuff that's like going to matter to to people cuz yeah we really we don't make we don't do this stuff if we made games only for ourselves we we'd be out of business right in the end we like we actually make these games for other people and and we do sell them and stuff so it's it's important that people um respond to what we're doing and i i think you sometimes hear developers yeah we we made this game just for ourselves and to me that always kind of rings a little false because it's like if you did that then why are you selling it (laughs) exactly didn't you just put it out for free you're looking for some sort you know you're putting all this time in there and you're spending all this money and you're you know involving all these people so that other people can enjoy and buy it so if it's just well i like this specific kind of game so i'm just going to make that it doesn't make too much sense yeah or or like i said i think it just kind of rings false um i i I don't really believe it um the i i think and uh, i think games almost more than any other almost more than any other medium it's like it's very it's very zen like like if no one plays a video game like it almost just doesn't exist like the interactivity is so the ability for for another human to interact with it is so key to its entire like meaning and existence yeah. i think uh that that yeah I, I mean it's definitely from my perspective it's the goal of maybe not all video games but certainly most video games is like to be played by someone ideally someone other than the person who made it <laughs> so yeah and that's um, like you said that's what makes it so different from the other media out there it's that nature of it um and we had referenced earlier uh, about kind of your your rich history in games writing everyone a lot of people know you from GameSpot, but here's a deep cut you were doing work before that and correct me if i'm wrong you started at a new type gaming magazine 
Uh, that's that is correct. And then you ran a smaller site called Arcadia Magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you, uh, <laughs> I've done my yeah. homework here. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you had a GameSpot internship back in 1996. I should actually slightly while we're while we're going that deep. Um, the first thing I did was a was a fan, uh, basically a fanzine when I was what 15 in <laughs> okay. high school called called uh, Shin New Ground, and that led to um, and that led to the the new type. Job, oh, gotcha. Which was the new type was my first sort of. It wasn't even a real job at first, but it was like the first time I I actually st- like someone paid me to write about games. So I I I had been writing about games, uh, sort of a, as a as an amateur for for about a year uh, before then. So yeah. And the landscape has changed significantly since then. I mean, I got my uh, yeah. start. <laughs> I got my start back in around 2010, uh, 2009, or something like that. And even then, it was massively different. So yep. What a lot of people when they're growing up i know i was like this you start playing video games and you you try to think how can i get into a business that where i can do this where i can play games and talk about them and uh write about them and try to like bring up interesting points what drove you to games writing back then in a world where games writing really wasn't too much of a thing yeah i mean from my perspective it was sort of a thing already it was um it was just mostly a thing and like uh publications like electronic gaming monthly and uh, that you know that was the one that was probably best known. But there there are a bunch Game Pro and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, these magazines aren't around anymore. Yeah, but um, but people I think people into games are still familiar with them. Um, and and so there were these publications that were out there. I knew that people were like reviewing games and stuff. Um, and for for me, it was just like. It was a couple of things. I, I I always wanted to make games since I was a little kid, but uh, my my attempts to teach myself uh, programming and they they just kind of fell flat. Uh, I I struggled with it a lot. Um, and uh, meanwhile, I always really I always enjoyed writing since I was a little kid. Uh, and I and I've been playing video games since my earliest memory. Uh, and I played games like so much in high school that it got to the point where I'm like, I just need to. Like I need to do something with this um, so that it's not just a. I felt like I needed to kind of justify it somehow, <laughs> and and not to mention I felt like I needed to be able to make some money. I one day so that I could you know uh, buy more games. Essentially, I couldn't I couldn't get all the games I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't a. I I did it out of pure just enjoyment. Um, th- there was some sense of like reading reading certain reviews that were out there that some of it for me was coming from like a uh like a place of dissatisfaction like like the kind of audacity of thinking that you could do better uh that that <laughs> I, kind of that kind of like arrogance right? i understand you, that yeah you you read you read something you're like dude this is or like uh or what happened to me was like i got burned uh, by certain reviews it's like i bought a game because it was supposed to be awesome and then it sucked i don't remember exactly what the gamer games were at this point but i had that kind of experience and it's like man reviews should be more critical it was like a premise of, and and they and i found a lot of reviews at the time to feel kind of condescending and i always took games seriously even when i was in high school and it's like people should write about games in a way that doesn't that doesn't treat me like a child and, um, and there were some publications that did this uh, like next generation and stuff like that and and I found and I found those you know very inspiring um, and yeah just kind of wanted to start doing that myself and that's that's how I got started doing it and certainly I never I never really assumed it would certainly I never could have imagined that I would end up you know working at GameSpot for <laughs> for ten plus years and st- that it would like turn into a real career uh, yeah. but but it was something exciting at the time to be able to I also used it to like get into things like E three which was super, super exciting. I was like underage and had no real, real business being there. But man, it was like just a really exciting place to be if you were into video games. And the reviews were completely different back then too. I mean, at GameSpot was, a lot of those reviews almost felt like a math equation where you're saying sound gets this number, graphics, you know, all the different, the story gets this number and then a little bit of a reviewer's tilt and then boom, here's the final score. I mean writing in general for like if you look at GameSpot reviews today some of them they they almost read like features would back then I mean if you could like talk about kind of I'm guessing you you know like you said you read reviews for your games so how much do you think reviews writing in general has 
kind of transformed in the last 10, 15 years? Um, you know, it's like, I think, um, I think everything goes in, in cycles. I think that for all the, I, 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 this may surprise you, but I think, I actually think that nothing has changed really um, in the, in the grand scheme of things. Um, I, I think that the struggles uh, faced by game critics are the same as the ones I remember from the nineties, uh, back in the nineties publications were also saying things like, you know what, we're not going to put review scores on our, on our reviews anymore. <laughs> like all that kind of stuff that feels very modern today. Uh, it's been happening all along the struggles of like, can you put a number on a work of art, et cetera. Um, this isn't a new conversation from my perspective. I, I, so I, yeah, I, I apologize if that's a disappointing, no, it's uh, not answer. at all. Uh, it... but, but I, I, I don't, like I just experience a great sense of deja vu whenever I see this conversation come up. No, I think um, it's super interesting. I feel like I, yeah. Uh, so I, um, I think that, I think that the landscape in which game reviews are written ha has changed a lot. Um, I think the most, like the single, like the um, the prevalence of video um, and the ease of which video can be created is really the thing that has changed the most. If I had to put my finger on it, um, like specifically, you know, YouTube and streamers and stuff like that. That I think has changed the conversation the most. As far as like the debate over, you know, quote unquote subjective versus quote unquote objective <laughs> reviews, uh, that that like I said, that that is a conversation that's as old as as uh, I think uh, game reviews. Um, and and there have always been game reviews written in the first person reflecting the particular experience of the critic and there have always been game reviews written kind of in the third person trying to present kind of a um more more of like a report on what the game is um that 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 has some sense of objectivity about it it it, it doesn't use terms like i think it mm -hmm. just uses it uses verbs like is it, it's um, more so, of like a product review if you were buying a tv and you're looking yeah, at the reviews of that i guess so i mean uh, i think i think my my reviews were accused of of sometimes being like that but i i really didn't see them that way um so uh, and and it's fine like i said i don't i don't sort of uh i don't dismiss anyone's response to to things like that but i i in my day the value of reviews was at least in part uh, related to the fact that games are costly in resources, time and money, uh, and and there was real value in in providing for a reader like a, a clear recommendation, mm -hmm. um, and and I did not see that as being at odds with speaking to the artistry of a game and i reviewed uh, many uh, games where i think I, I i felt very comfortable in in reconciling this but but again you know the reader's mileage may certainly vary um i i do see like i think today it's much more accepted uh and and i think appropriate that that reviews uh, more specifically reflect the experience of the individual who who reviewed it um, but again, I think that's because like the days when you could sort of trust some big organization to like recommend something to you, I, I don't think people really have that kind of trust anymore. Um, and they, they would sooner trust an individual, um, and, and they, they want to know, you know, they want to know what like Jeff Gerstmann thought of a game or yeah. whatever. They, they, they don't, it, it doesn't make as much sense to them. And and actually, Giant Bomb isn't even Giant Bomb is a perfect example there because yeah, the idea of like what did Giant Bomb think of this doesn't even make sense if you're a reader of Giant Bomb. It's just like composed of the individuals there. Um, so I, I I think they I I like the 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 balance with which they they are able to uh, sort of achieve uh, achieve that. Um, but but you know everyone handles it a little bit differently. I think. Yeah, and I it's a really good point. Is I think they were some of the first uh, reviewers where you could really, like you said, you're not worried about like, well, IGN gave it this or GameSpot gave it this. Yeah. You're like, no, Brad Shoemaker gave it this. And uh, like I said, Jeff Gersman gave it this. And I think a lot of people, some people at least are moving toward that. And part of me thinks that Twitter has a big part of this so that you can follow mm -hmm. someone, you can see their 
random dumb tweets that go out, but you start to understand who they are and what they like and what genres they're into. And instead of choosing a handful of sites that you follow and trust, you're choosing a handful of reviewers uh, that you can kind of align with. Or even if you're not aligned with, you respect their opinion and how they write about games so that you're following them and saying, okay, well, he didn't like this. He'll point out certain things he didn't like, but I also understand that like we, we don't have the exact same interests, but I want to read what he has to say about it. I want to watch his YouTube video about it. And it's it's a fun transition for me to see that and to have certain people on my Twitter that follow me and know that, you know, whether I'm at IGN or GameSpot or whatever site reviewing stuff, they know that I have this specific uh, set of interests that I'm bringing in. So it's I yeah. think Giant Bomb was kind of a leader in that. Yeah, I I I I think so too. And I think um as as difficult as the as difficult as the environment is for individuals uh you know trying to trying to be critics try, basically just trying to make a living in it. I I think I think there is something heartening about that that I really feel like people out there want those voices. Um and so it's kind it kind of like as as with the giant bomb example, you know, someone like Jeff, people will follow Jeff wherever he may go right yeah. they 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 appreciate his voice and perspective and and he's just he's he's been around for a long time there are many other examples including people who have gotten their starts much more recently it's like if their voice is unique then even if uh the publication that they happen to be writing for today should should take another path well uh, hopefully their audience a large portion of it will just kind of follow them wherever they go uh, as opposed to like I think in the '90s or early 2000s or whatever, it, it could it could often be more difficult for an individual voice to kind of distinguish itself. And then if like a publication has layoffs or something, you know, you're just kind of you know you're you're just kind of lost. Yeah. Um. You don't you don't really have a an audience. You you couldn't cultivate an audience individually the way you can today, as you said, with things like Twitter or yeah or or streaming and all that all that kind of stuff i mean look at patreon now you can be the kind of funny guys and leave ign and now they're just wildly successful in a different way and same thing with jim sterling uh you're right there's a lot of different examples like that yeah patreon you know reflects to to me there's a lot of parallels between that and and like the like independent uh, game development totally you know game developers they're like they just struck out on their own and wanted to see if they could they could do it themselves no, knowing that you know you don't like i'm sure um i i don't know this for a fact but i would i would imagine that the guys um who yeah who who left ign um uh, greg miller and company it's like they i i i assume that their goal was not to like achieve the same you know revenue bottom line as ign like they don't need to they don't need success on that scale yeah they just need success on their own terms and to be able to keep doing what they love. And I think it's like a similar impulse behind a lot of independent game developers are like, well, we're never going to be EA, but like, that's not, you know, if we wanted to be EA, we would just stay here. Yeah. Um, we, we, we w- would rather have like more modest success, but something that, you know, coming from something that's more personal to us. The more personality, the better for me. I, it's, it's a lot of fun. And like, I think it's a great example of paralleling you know, you see a lot of independent developers uh, going out and starting their own studios in the same way they see a lot of journalists doing that. And like I'd mentioned earlier, if you're a reader, it's almost like you are, instead of having the entire cable package, you're choosing individual channels yeah. that you like. So it's this kind of a la carte uh, method, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, also, I did want to mention, so you became the editor-in-chief of GameSpot, which mm-hmm. in a big way, it's like the pinnacle of uh, games writing. Did you, you had mentioned earlier that ever since you were a kid, you were always looking at developing games, but did it at the time kind of feel like you were at the top of the mountain and was it hard to walk away from? Because I've worked with um, Kevin Van Ord, who's going to be on the show yeah. next week. I've worked for him for a long time and he recently left yeah. this you know, really prestigious role at GameSpot to go do something, you know, write four games. And he had mentioned to me that that was terrifying. It was terrifying to always be like, I want to be at GameSpot. And then once you're there, you're like, I want to do something new now, but Am I going to like it? Is it going to be good? I won't be able to go back. This is a step where you can't just poke your poke your head out and be like, oh, no, I don't like this, and then go back. So did it? was there ever any sort of concern from you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think concern is like a uh, – is an operating emotion of mine in general. <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, I, I, uh, I, I have a strange – you know, I, I, I worry about all sorts of things. Um, 
but when it comes to when it comes to game related stuff i have i have a certain amount of confidence that i don't experience in other aspects of my life um that and that's part of just the the kind of comfort zone that games provide for me as as like something that's just been a constant presence in my life more so than i think literally anything else yeah. you know games have always been there for me but yeah like like to your to your earlier question like i i you know gamespot was gamespot was always a challenging place to work and it's it's still it's really it's always very flattering when people like still remember my time there because at this point it was a, a long time ago but yeah. uh and some people remember it, like when i go to pax or something there there's the occasional person who remembers that particular era of gamespot very fondly and i find that very um like I said, I find it very flattering. Um, but in my own experience was like, it was always, it was just always, it was always difficult. It was always a question of like, you, you know, squeezing the most out of the limited resources that we had. And we, we were big and we looked big, but, but it felt like on the inside, we were not nearly as big as, as kind of we, we projected ourselves to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we were having to cover like basically literally every game. <laughs> and so it was, it was just a big challenge. So I never felt like I was at the top of the mountain uh, to use or to, to paraphrase your term, especially since we had like fierce competition um, all, all the time. Um, so you could, you could never sort of let up. Um, and then when I, when I got into, uh, and uh, so, so the other part is, yeah, I state, you know, I was there for more than 10 years and I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't like biding my time. I didn't have like some <laughs> just waiting. Year, yeah. I didn't have some like master plan that like, and then 10 years from now I'll be editor in chief. You know, <laughs> I like all that stuff. It just kind of happened over time. And, and it was more the thing where I woke up one day and 10 years had just flashed by. Um, and I was no closer to, I was I was in my late 20s at that point almost 30 and I'm like if I don't get into game development soon I may never have a chance uh at least that's how I felt mm. so I I felt I felt this great impulse to just like go try it uh before before I ran out of time uh because game development was and and I think arguably still is this kind of young man's game for better or worse like it's it's a brutal industry in its own right uh, yeah, I felt like I needed to try it, um, and that I would regret it if I never tried it. So, um, and it was still, you know, with a great, certainly there was a great deal of trepidation there. I took a job where I was like commuting basically from Northern California to, I ended up commuting for two and a half years, uh, for that job, uh, which was not, you know, commuting to Los Angeles from San Francisco is like oh, not yeah. an, an advisable, not ideal. Uh, yeah. So like, you know, whatever. Um, it's not, I, 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 again, probably wouldn't have even done it had I known I would end up prolonging that aspect for that long. But, but I think if people knew just how much they would struggle later, they would like never do anything totally. <laughs> um, like, like any sort of undertaking like that. People, people try to be optimistic about it and, and then the reality happens and you just kind of push through it. Um, yeah, and you had mentioned before where you talk about how it's flattering that people still remember you from those days. I mean, for me, it's always still cool to talk to you and talk to Kevin because I am one of those people who, if it wasn't for early GameSpot, uh, I mean, I would email into the hotspot all the time. I remember doing when the hotspot, when Jeff and Ryan yeah. had left for Giant Bomb, I, the hotspot started back up with Brendan Sinclair and Kevin Van Ord, and I would send in homework and try to get my call on there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's really cool to. You know, back then it was just, it always seemed like this unobtainable goal to be on there. Um, and that's why, you know, talking to you the first time at PAX and you giving me the opportunity to interview you about uh, Transistor when it was coming on the PS4 and that being an IGN feature. It's it's this weird full circle thing for me that yeah, I'm yeah. still trying to wrap my head around, I think. But it's it's really, it, it's awesome. It's awesome to be able to talk to you guys and look back at that content and be able to tell you like, hey, if it wasn't for you writing and for you doing that, I know I sure wouldn't be into this. So yeah, th- yeah. thanks. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, it's 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 cool to hear that. And and I think yeah, like I like I said, it's uh, it does feel like this kind of. Um, I I think a lot of people experience that full circle nature. Uh, the, one of one of my favorite things about about the game industry is that like you can you could just meet all you could. F- eventually meet all these people one way one way or another uh, if you're if you're fortunate mm. and you find your way into it at all but yeah it's like um 
I've, I've, uh, it, it's even at something like E3 or whatever, if you manage to go there and you're a fan of games, you could just like walk around and see all these people whose, whose games you like, you just cherish, right? They're celebrities oh to you. Like they're people yeah. that like maybe my, of course my mom or some of my friends would never recognize. But yeah. for me, when I first, you know, I, I went to E3 in 2013 and saw Tim Schaefer and I remember yeah, exactly. sitting there with my friend and being like, I'm freaking out. I want to go shake his hand because that's Tim Schaefer. Yeah. Like, so there's a lot of it's yeah, it's a crazy industry. And like you said, a lot of it is being fortunate or being lucky enough to go there. Of course, there's the hard work and you need that. And like you said, sometimes you don't you don't want to be able to look back and be like, oh, I have to go through all these struggles to get there. I don't know if I'm going to do that. But it's a lot of hard work and it is a few strokes of luck to get to where you want yeah, to go. Absolutely. Um, one thing I definitely want to talk to you about. So yeah. you had moved on from uh, GameSpot. You went to EA. You worked on Command & Conquer, uh, Red Alert 3, and you worked on that series. But you also went to 2K where you worked mm -hmm. on Spec Ops The Line for a bit. And I'm going yep. to be having the tan gentleman on soon who uh, a oh, lot cool. of them came from. Oh, Corey. Yeah. yeah, Corey Davis is a good friend of mine. Um, you know, I've, we had done some interviews in 73, and I've talked to him a lot. That development is I swear someday I'm going to write a full feature on the Spec yeah. Ops The Line feature because on the uh, the development because there's so much to it. Yeah. Of course, I can't ask you everything. I know I doubt you can say everything that happened there, but what was that process like being there and working on this game that a lot of people like weren't even sure if it was going to come out and then it did come out and it was in a lot of ways really amazing how they managed to yeah. white phosphorus, the, the emotional yeah, yeah, impact yeah. of that. What was that like? Oh uh, well, yeah. So first, I'm I worked on yeah I worked on Spec Ops the Line for a year. Um, it was in development for much longer than that overall. Um, it was in development for quite some time before I arrived and for quite some time after I left. So um, and I worked on um, I worked on the publishing side, uh, basically like a liaison between 2K the publisher and Jaeger uh, the developer. Um, there, there were Jaeger was not the only uh, developer. Um, they they were, but since uh, like like the multiplayer portion of the game was also uh, ha handled, uh, like contributed in part by by other studios working with Jaeger. So yeah, it was a big, you know, complex AAA production, uh, and the vision for it was very much about this, uh, about this narrative experience that it was going to provide, um, and. I love how just how true to that it ended up uh, because boy did it go through a lot um, to get there. It's amazing I, how it still got there by the end. Oh I, yeah, I, I it did. Even... I mean, I think I think that the um, you know I I have a I have a ton of love and admiration for for 2K as a as a label. Um, the the kind of the the creative leadership there at you know when I was there was very. It was very sort of stalwart in in believing in the artistry of games um, and what they could sort of accomplish uh, th uh, narratively and and stuff like that. And it was a it was a big it, it it was like such a contrast coming from coming from EA. Not to say that that quality didn't exist at EA, but EA was so disciplined around shipping games. Uh, when I was there, at least uh, in my like at the studio where I was, whereas 2K was was w always willing to kind of stick its neck out and kind of take more time just to make sure uh, it was just right, um, something like that. And and it's a very it's it kind of like from a business standpoint, it's a it's a risky strategy. Um, it was known that something like Spec Ops, the line was was like a, a risky proposition, but. Uh, folks over there really believed. I I certainly really believed in it and was really inspired by, by the vision uh, behind it. Um, and I didn't know. Yeah, like I didn't know how it was going to turn out um, because I had already moved on um, until you know. But I like bought whatever. Bought it day one, all that kind of stuff. And play like when I got to the end, I'm like, oh man, you, like this game just they nailed it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what was interesting to me was like now that game is kind of a cult classic and. It comes up on whatever on Reddit or what from time to time. I, I think it's remembered very fondly, but the reviews were pretty bad, um, the, or they weren't great. Like most most critics did not were not flattering toward the game. If you whatever, not that not that Metacritic is the be all end all, but as a snapshot of what a bunch of people said, if you look at the 
the kind of Metacritic for it, it's not amazing. Um, and uh, but then at the end of the year and stuff, it started coming up for narrative awards and so on. So I remember being a little frustrated that like, man, because because I don't think it sold that great at first. Uh, to, uh, and and but maybe if the reception to it was better initially, uh, it would have done better. But but I think it's since done really well. Um, you know, Steam sales and all the stuff like the word of mouth has caught up with it. Um, and yeah, I just love seeing it still come up uh in 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 people's discussions about games that really left uh an impact um i i think that's really cool because like i said that was actually like what the developers were striving for for many years yeah i i do remember the reviews coming out and i was just looking this up i did review this game way back when um i gave it a four to five so apparently i like the yeah, story a lot you no know, you were uh th i think that's on the i think that's on the higher end i saw <laughs> i think I, so and i think a lot of people um and it was hard not to, because when this game was being talked about beforehand, uh, a lot of the press around it wasn't as much focusing on the story. It, everyone was kind of thinking, oh, it's another one of those third-person shooters. It, it's that, that part I can speak to, you know, I was involved in, I, I, you know, I was one of the people like presenting the game at E3 and stuff like that. Um, and, and it was a, it certainly, we actually did try very much to, to to position it around the narrative it's just like what i what i later realized was like it's just a really hard sell um it's hard to tell people that like your story is going to be awesome like why should they believe you yeah. there's just no there's no reason uh because it, on on some level like everybody says that about their game um and and it's similar i i think it like informed some of our thinking around around bastion and transistor it's like after bastion came out everyone's like oh man the music's amazing like why didn't you say that the music was going to be such a big part of this thing it's like well if we had said that the music's going to be a big part of this thing like would you have even believed us like <laughs> what what would you have like like it yeah, just what's seems... what's the headline there what yeah why yeah so uh, so exactly i so i think like some qualities like the narrative or, or those kinds of things i think i think they work in this more subversive fashion on people and and so it's really hard to tell people up front that like those parts are going to be awesome it, be, you just kind of want people to be surprised by them yeah. um and that's certainly how it ended up working with with spec ops i think on a lot of people where they came into it you know like oh what's this you know military third person third person shooter okay cool and then and then they like kind of start getting to some of the critical moments and they're they're blown away. Yeah, that, that game proves that you can do a lot more than what's being done with military third or first person shooters. Yeah. And I could probably talk to you all day about Spec Ops Online <laughs> because there's so much to dig into there. Yeah. But I also want to talk about your transition to Supergiant games where you're currently at. Did you see Supergiant as this small company and decide that, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go. I like what they're doing. I'm going to go help them out. Did they come to you? How did that group get formed? Well, so uh, it. Uh, Supergiant is founded by my uh, former colleagues of mine at EA. So the, these guys were some of my closest friends uh, at at EA, okay. uh, and we'd we'd gone through some some kind of uh, some fires together. So definitely, you know, when you're we are we we already had kind of strong bonds, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and we all left around the same time in August of two thousand nine. Um, and uh, Amir and Gavin, uh, Amir Rao, Gavin Simon are the co-founders of, of Supergiant. They, Amir was one of my roommates at the time in Los Angeles. Um, and they, they moved into a house and started working on Bastion. Uh, and I took a job at 2K. Um, they, they were going from one like sort of pressure cooker situation into another. Um, and I, and in my case, where I had been commuting for two and a half years and stuff like that, I'm like, I, I just, I need to like restore some sense of stability to my life. Like, I don't, I don't know that my family life can like survive me going straight from this situation into like a startup situation. Absolutely. So that's, um, and, and, and I thought that that was, I figured that that was like going to be it. And, you know, these guys, these guys would remain my close friends and stuff like that. But I never, I never expected that our paths would sort of, um, re realign, but then you know, some some time later, uh, they 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 had they were getting somewhere on Bastion, and they're about to kind of move into production on it. Like now, we we know what we're doing, and we need to start building out this game. Um, and and they uh, you know, 
they they knew what were the things that I really really was passionate about when it came to games um and like basically you know offered offered me a a job that was essentially like catered around around all the things I would ideally like to be able to do um the catch of course is that it's a small startup company with almost no chances of success statistically blah 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 um and I had to like convince my family that this that like what you know what would you say if i left this good stable job at 2k and went to go work with my friends for almost nothing and we're probably going to be dead in a year in a landscape where indie games were not you know there weren't that many of course it was starting to build up with the xbox 360 and ps3 but even way more riskier than it is nowadays Yes and no. And these days, it's, the risks I think are are of a different nature. But yeah, it, it's certainly less um, less. It's more unprecedented, it, maybe. Less common. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we already felt we we felt even at the time that we were we were following in like well worn foot. This is a bit like my answer about the gaming press. Stuff. Okay. Like I yeah. feel I feel like it was already being done. Yeah. Uh, these games like Braid or Plants vs Zombies and Castle Crashers they had paved the way for us. So, so like we didn't, we didn't think that we were doing anything like sort of innovative. We felt that we were following um, established successes, um, and and just trying to kind of, but you know, trying to do our own thing all the same. Yeah. Um, but for sure, we were like we never Supergiant wouldn't exist if not for these games like Braid and Castle Crashers that that were really inspiring to us when we were at EA, uh, working on a team of like a hundred, you know, sixty to a hundred people, and then realizing what teams of like three to eight people or so could accomplish so yeah um it was a that that's basically how the how that transition happened happened for me and then i you know i ended up reuniting with these guys i worked with at uh at ea and we announced bastion and we completed bastion and and thankfully um it was well received and put us in a position to make another game and i know the 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 building the bastion series with giant bomb kind of documented your development process uh, and a lot of people know, you know, a lot of people have played Bastion. Now it's on so many different platforms. Uh, but, but I'd like to know, what's it like to write for a video game compared to writing about video games? And to branch off of that, we did have someone write in to ask you. Uh, this is from Samuel Sargent. I apologize if I'm saying your last name wrong. Um, he said Bastion had some of the best writing he's ever experienced in games. So we'd like to know kind of what literature influenced it. I know it's oh, a lot man. of questions piled up on yeah. you, but yeah, maybe just the process of writing, the differences there, and what influenced the writing of Bastion. Yeah, so like I, I think, you know, overall, I had, I, I really wanted to do that kind of write, like I really wanted to write fiction for games, um, but it was not something I, I had had like limited opportunities to do that at EA, um, and and I, I loved what what I got to do um i didn't like write the main stories for anything but you know these were real-time strategy games i got to write like some of the unit responses and little descriptions of guys and i i love that kind of stuff it like i got to like bring these little you know airplanes and submarines and things i i got to sort of breathe a little bit of life into them through these like incidental bits of dialogue um i i think it's not stuff that most players pay a ton of attention to but it's something that i've always enjoyed in that genre um, so that was my first real brush with with any with any kind of game writing, um, it, it, like writing for games as opposed to about games. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like wrote the manuals and stuff, and and I just I just loved every second of it, honestly. Um, I, I I liked the it, it it it's what I had always wanted to do since I was a kid. That was mm-hmm. it. Like that was the thing when I, um, it, but you know writing about games, it's more of this kind of more of this kind of journalistic process it's less uh it, it's not fiction um so so there wasn't any obvious reason why i'd have any uh aptitude for it but it's something i cared a lot about um i did i did major in you know i'm an english major blah 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 i have some like co- college writing background i guess yeah. that gets into the other um the other que- and and for sure you know when it comes to bastion bastion does have a lot of uh literary influence um you know our use of narration in that game while on some level inspired by other games that that have narration in them like you know from max Payne to prince of persia the sands of time and stuff it was like it was harking back to like 
just like old school, unreliable narrator literature, like Henry James and stuff. The, the, the turn of the screw, I think, is like the quintessential, like unreliable narrator story or one of them. Um, so just um, wanting to use a narrator in, in a semi-literary fashion and also tonally, uh, the game was very um, was very kind of inspired by the the writing of Cormac McCarthy, uh, wh who became like a he became a pretty sort of fashionable uh, game writing influence. Uh, stuff like The Last of Us is very very Cormac McCarthy influenced, I think. Uh, like The Road, um, uh, but but like we we just like that kind of almost you know Southern Gothic kind of feel um, and wanting to see what that would feel like in a, in a fantasy context. Um, just this, just put a non-standard voice in a fantasy game and see what happened. But, but, you know, that's kind of, then there, there are like a lot of authors who influence me spiritually, but, but I can't, I, I don't like to talk too much about that stuff because it, whenever I think people interpret influences as being very direct. And to me, they, they're rarely direct. They're like more, they're more spiritual. It's more like the feel of something, and and then the, the way it translates, uh, y you know, I think is very indirect. I mean, right now you're Bastion's on a whole bunch of platforms. You finished Transistor, um, that's doing really really well. Uh, so I know during development, I doubt you have a lot of free time or want to devote a lot of time to playing a lot of other games that are coming out. Uh, you had mentioned you kind of disconnect for a bit afterward, but. Do you have this, even right now, this this thing where you kind of play a lot of the different games you missed, not only to, um, you know, spend some time relaxing and seeing all the different titles out there, but also see what's out there so you can make sure whatever your next game is, is uh, not only modern, but maybe pushing certain things that are, that are going on forward? Oh, I mean, I, I've never, like, I, I've always, like, kept up with games, um, that's really it's just really important to me so yeah i never i never like i never really like want to take a break from games you know for very long yeah. or whatever there, there's always something i i've always enjoyed games of all shapes and sizes and and i and i i just don't expect the day will ever come when that is not the case um so i'm always playing stuff and i find it very inspiring in different ways you know i take inspiration from very random sources or whatever like what are you playing right now other than i know other you're than, a dota 2 guy right i i move you know uh, hearthstone has been my poison okay last year or something i i've played that rather uh, rather obsessively um and yeah i was surprised i'm surprised that i'm into competitive games again i used to play a lot of fighting games um and and games like dota 2 and hearthstone scratch that itch for me mm -hmm. um, and they're just very deep games um, so I enjoy the the communities around them and just the the very kind of pure interactions that occur in those games they're they're just there's no pretense about what you're there to do um, and and I, I kind of I like I, I unplug in those games they take up like a hundred percent of my mental capacity um, and it's it's like it's very sort of pleasurable in that respect um, but I, uh, yeah, the other, other stuff I've been playing lately, it's like, uh, uh, Witcher three, I just got, uh, everybody's gone to the rapture that came out this week. Oh, I still need to get um, that. and that's, that's, you know, from the, uh, from the Chinese room, who's uh, best known for dear Esther. They also made uh, amnesia machine for pigs. Um, they, you know, that, that's one of those studios that is, I, I think, uh, gets, gets a lot of credit for its contributions to, to, uh, to narrative in games. Um, so I really, I really enjoy playing narrative games of all kinds um, and seeing kind of what their, what their angle is and what they do. You know, th this is a while ago now, but like, uh, uh, you know, last year there, the, these games, uh, ga like it tends to be narrative games that really stick with me. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's something like, uh, I don't know that Papers, Please actually qualifies as a narrative game per se. It's, it's mechanically to a certain quite extent, rich. I think so. Yeah, but uh, like I think Papers Please is one of the just just one of the best games I've played in years. Um, it, it, that that game just was kind of like astonishing to me, um, in part because it's made by one person. Actually, speaking of games made by one person, I recently played played through that game, Her Story, that's oh, out yeah. on Steam yep. and iOS. That was like I, I thought just like a, an incredibly well executed game. 
uh, just just a great a great idea executed well um, into you know basically done by one person. Um, so I, I find I find those kind of cases really just they're just amazing. You know I don't have uh, I don't have the capacity to do stuff like that myself, and I I love when 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 games are made by like the smallest number of people it, it it's suggestive to me of like a purity of uh, you know i guess for lack of a better word the vision behind the game and i i just like appreciate seeing the the unfiltered vision in a, uh, in games of that sort it's uh, it's so much different from playing a into use kind of a, a call of duty or an assassin's creed where there's all these people coming together you look at like you said her story uh which i think was sam barlow which was the perfect yeah. timing too because it came out at a window where not a lot else was yeah. coming out and it was so different that everyone kept talking about it or you look at uh samantha kalman's uh, centris which had just released so and that's it's so much fun to see these games that feel like like you said one person's vision instead of 500 people uh working together towards something that kind of has to hit a certain corporate goal yeah you know at the same time though i mentioned like witcher 3 and like <laughs> yeah and and witcher 3 witcher 3 is a funny one to me because you look at it and people want to lump it into that like soulless triple A category, but it's like, man, this game's made, you, you know, this game's made in Poland. Like, give <laughs> these guys a break. This isn't, this isn't just some massive Hollywood production. Here. Totally. It just, it, so I, I, um, I, I found games like that to be like, uh, there was the Metro uh, series, like oh, the, I love the Metro, uh, series. Metro, Metro last light. And it's like, man, this game was made in, it was made in Ukraine and like, just totally shows up a lot of these big AAA studios. So I, I I don't make too many assumptions about the you know just because it was made in Poland or Ukraine it doesn't doesn't mean like it was made under duress or anything. But for sure those are those are like locations that are not immediately sort of as recognized as mm -hmm. as being like the home of you know AAA quality game experiences. Although Poland I think increasingly uh, is that. Um, yes. Poland has produced a lot of really spectacular games. Um, so yeah, I kind of I kind of love that. Um, I love that something like Witcher Three is just the. Um, it it kind of reminds me of. I, I think Blizzard still does does a an excellent job um, in in uh, for the most part. But the the way the way that I used to feel about Blizzard games of like you get a Blizzard game and it's going to be awesome and they're going to support it forever and it's just like you're in really good hands or something like that. And I kind of, I kind of feel that way about Witcher and the way it's, you know, the way the developers have continued to support it and, and, and so on. And that game was a long time in development that you could, you could tell a lot of blood, sweat and tears went into the making of it. But, um, but I, I think it has this feel of a, of a real passion project, even though a lot of people worked on it. So I don't, I don't actually know how it was made. I don't know if it was, you know much less enjoyable than that but i think that i think the result is is really is really cool and really special so yeah that I, one feels I, like it was made with magic i don't know how it was done but uh, yeah. uh those guys cd project red i met them uh, back in e3 2013 and they do seem like people who are super passionate about what they do and like you said it, it has kind of this singular feel even though there are many people and i totally need to finish that game before review season starts up because we're getting real yeah. close to yeah, I once guess, Madden uh, gets here, that's when you know yeah, that things no, are about right. to go down. Um, end of end of August, uh, start of September. Yeah, it's about to. Yeah, I'm It's about it. to get real. Um, I'm excited and terrified. Uh, so at the end of these don't, podcasts, don't worry about a third of it will get delayed, <laughs> as always happens. <laughs> See, but... that's that's so great for me because then I get to catch up on all the things I missed. Yeah. I don't mind delays. Um, so yeah, like we normally do during the end of these podcasts, we I always try to at least take something that we've talked about and kind of encapsulate that into a smaller tip that people who are either just starting or have some experience can take and try to do something right now to improve whether they're a podcaster, they're a YouTuber, they're a writer, or they're a game developer. And I can start kind of with something that I've been trying to do a lot, and that's to expand your rep repertoire. Um, and I guess by that I mean for the longest period of time, I would just write reviews uh, and I would just stick with kind of one aspect of games writing and over time I've done a lot to um, write features and write news features and do stuff like that um, and it's similar to what you've done where you know it, to even a deeper sense where you're doing games writing and then you expand your skill set so that you're writing for games and you're getting into development and that initially for me could be a little bit terrifying when you're doing something 
even within the review space where if I'm just reviewing shooters and sports games, it's like, well, I'm going to try out this new genre, try out this new thing. And one of the most important things you can do in this business, which is so hard to find a job because there are so few and a lot of people keep those jobs for a long period of time. uh, I think one of the most important things to do is to make yourself uh, give yourself as many skills as possible. I mean, I think everyone always has a certain focus in a certain area where they're best, but over time, uh, for me, this podcast has been a fun step where I can show like, hey, I can also talk into a microphone as well as write words on a Word doc. Uh, so if right now you're in a position where you're just writing reviews and you really do want to get into this business full time, I would highly suggest going out and doing news stories, doing features, doing playing different games and making yourself uh, as well-rounded as possible, even if it, in the end you have a certain thing that you are best at. So that's my tip for this week and I'll tell you what is really helped me over time uh, land a lot more outlets and you know hopefully one day maybe find some sort of full-time work uh, I know once again I kind of sprung this on you earlier Greg so if yeah. you don't have anything that's fine but do you have any sort of tip no it's, so yeah like I I uh, I feel like the the older I get the less the less advice I have to give um, <laughs> on uh, on many levels but but I I can always I can always sort of uh give it in the sense of like think things I've discovered that have worked for me and your mileage may may vary so this isn't meant to be um uh prescriptive but um something that a, a thing I've realized that is like one of the most a, a quality that I value immensely is is just uh is just consistency um and and just like the I think you see this a lot with with certain uh, YouTubers or streamers or something like that, like some of the ones who are the most successful are the ones who just like rain or shine, you know, they stick to their schedule no matter what. They're always there. You know, you go on Twitch and that guy is always streaming, you know, does that guy ever sleep or whatever? <laughs> like you, you wonder how they do it uh, and they do it through a lot of hard work, but the, the, you know, the consistency of it is really important and it's not it's not just when it comes to streaming i think it's anything i so a thing i started doing was uh just scheduling certain things for myself um i found that it was very easy i found that i was kind of a slave to a schedule um but but also at the same time i would procrastinate all the time on on things that were important like i wouldn't exercise or something it's mm. like you know i'll 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 show up to work right on time but these other things that are like important to my my health or something like that you know uh, those are easy to neglect neglect so what i found was when i just put things on a schedule like on a on a recurring time um i would just be much more likely to do them and i started applying that to things that had nothing to do with work um things that were like more extracurricular in nature and just trying to structure my time and be consistent um kind of in my own life and I think that was one of the things that that did help me in that transition after after transistors we were talking about uh, at the beginning of the conversation. It helped me like restore a sense of order to my life and just restore some sort of sense of balance to it. It's very like il- kind of illusory. It's like oh, it's important because it's on a schedule. Um, but I I felt like I was tricking my brain uh, into prioritizing things that technically were important, but that I would I would otherwise. I would otherwise neglect. Yeah, so that's something that I plan to keep doing, whether whether uh, professionally uh, or or personally. Just things that are important to me. Uh, just try never to not do them. Um, try to just be consistent because the more you do something, the easier it gets. And and then uh, when it comes to prof- you know, on the prof- uh, on the professional side of things, if you're just consistent. Um, that's how you, I think that's, you know, a big part of how you can start to build an audience and start to build a following and stuff like that, or just not for its own sake, but just as you keep doing something, people will come to expect it and come to appreciate it. Hopefully they won't come to take it for granted. Um, but, but I think, uh, you know, I think that's part of having a voice, part of making your voice heard in the increasingly kind of crowded online spaces that if you're just kind of always uh johnny on the spot with it and people come to rely on you um so yeah that was a rambling answer but no that's, but that's i mean the best i've got i couldn't agree more because i think i work the same way where you know i'm always on time but if i don't 
make something a part of my schedule, I won't do it. So in exercise is the same way where for a while I was like slacking on that. But once it becomes a part of your schedule, it becomes this important thing that you feel like, yeah. no, I need to do this. This isn't like, should I go to the gym today? It's like, no, at this time I'm going yeah. to the gym because it's part of my schedule. What, exactly. This is just what I do. And I don't know why it took me like whatever, 38 years. <laughs> I don't think it's like a, <laughs> I don't know that it's that like miraculous of a discovery. Uh, it was just, it, it was oddly something that, that worked for me. Whereas like a lot of, a lot of other things just didn't where you can rationalize it all you want. And, but every, you know, just about everybody procrastinates a lot. Um, that's like a very human characteristic, mm -hmm. I think. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's, it, it's one technique to kind of battle against it, I think. It seems simple, but that, I mean, I've given that advice to other people too, who are like, you know, how do I add this to my schedule? I'm like, just make it just, a part of your schedule. It has yeah, to like be literally, there. Yeah. Literally add it to your schedule. Yeah. Pencil uh, and, that and put thing it on in. The, yeah. Put it on a recurring, you know, like, like, a. If, if someone wants to, you know, whenever people say, I don't have time or like, I, I try, I try to always catch myself saying I don't have time and never to use that expression. Like you make time for things that are important. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and that's just, yeah, you just, whatever, try, try scheduling it. Uh, like if you want to, if it is exercise, it's like, well, you know, start, start modest and see if you could do it three times a week or what, yeah. you know, put it on it. You could set up that google calendar reminder and it helps me so up. much <laughs> yeah it, it helps me a lot too all right well greg where can people find you either on social media and of course i can't talk about whatever you're working on now but where can people find your games uh we we are at uh super giant games both uh on on the web and on twitter and and i'm just uh kasavin on on twitter also so yeah easy to find all right and it always feels weird to say Thank you, because you never intentionally went out to say, I'm going to get into games writing so someday people like Josiah can feel comfortable doing it too. But I do want to say thank you because, you know, your work over time has really, it, it has been an inspiration for me at GameSpot. And I love your games and I've had a fantastic time. Uh, oh, I think, yeah. to be honest, Bastion was the first perfect score I ever gave out. It gave out and might be the only perfect score I've ever given out. Um, and it's always been great to talk to you and you've always taken the time to talk to me when, you know, a lot of people like you said, say, I don't have the time and you've always been great about that. So I really do appreciate you stopping by and talking today. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you in turn. Yeah. That, that, that means a lot. That's all, all you can, uh, you know, all you can ask for is for the stuff you do to be worth a damn to someone. Right. So yeah, it means, it means a lot. Well, you've absolutely achieved that. So thank you very much, Greg. Hopefully, uh, later down the line, we could talk again because I feel like there's still eight billion things I want to ask you about. Yeah. <laughs> so you know where to you know where to find me. Absolutely. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening to, and hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099. <laughs>